I wrote a book about my life named Moguldom. You can get more information about this book at moguldombook.com. I talk about acquiring a knowledge of self, self-determination, and building a business over 10 years. There are some gems in this book that you don't want to miss. One way to support the Go movement in this podcast is to go to moguldombook.com, buy the book on pre-sale to support the Go movement. Let's go. You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. This is part two of the interview. If QE is going to look a bit different and it's not going to be so much kind of top down yeah. where a lot of the, the advantages are skewed towards the, the wealthy uh, and elites. Hey, you can look at student debt. You can look at auto debt. Uh, the New York Fed. Uh, just last month, set late payments for auto loans at a record high. There's never been kind of, you know, this scale of late payments for autos, according to the yeah. New York Fed. At the same time, Jerome Powell saying, hey, things look good. <laughs> but that common man and woman, they're behind yeah. on their auto loans. But I'm thinking the debt mix in terms of, hey, if you're going to you know, stimulate the economy. Why don't you focus on student loans, auto debt, uh, credit card debt, uh, that, Hey, if you're going to help these banks make more money and, and kind of help financial institutions and the owners of access, you're going to start buying Apple and Google, helping the people who can afford to have big portfolios. And you're going to perpetuate the inequality in the system. You're going to exaggerate it. Yeah. You're going to have to do something this time to, to help, uh, the folks on the bottom, the folks who who who, who need uh, a big chunk of that QE. So now we're on uh, uh, credit cards. You know, some millennials, they'll say, I got trapped. You know, uh, they extended credit to me, some type of point system, no interest the first six months. I got trapped in credit card debt. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, of course, the... The average millennial has college debt. Now these credit card companies have them trapped at the end of this economic cycle in record credit card debt. And it sounds simple, like, hey, you just have to be disciplined. Don't take out credit cards and all this other stuff. But what advice do you have to younger folks who have not been trapped yet and to folks who are already trapped? Because uh, that that's a that's yeah, a, that's no, a big mean, look, uh, if, impairment. If you're not trapped yet, just don't get trapped. <laughs> That'd be the first advice. Um, no, look, it's it's amazing because uh, and you're taking me back to my college days, um, which I remember. This is before they had uh, certain legislation too about credit cards not being uh, companies, uh, those companies not being on college campuses. So I remember. Uh, like City Financial, I had a credit card from them because I, I got a T-shirt when I signed up. And when I was 19 or 18, you know, having that free T-shirt, I guess, was pretty cool. So I got myself, probably by the time I was out, getting out of college, I probably had, you know, three to four grand in credit card debt that eventually, you know, I paid off after I started working. And it was a big waste of time and money when you look back at it. I, I don't even remember what I spent that money on. And um, so I think part of the journey for all of us, um, and now me and you included, you know, even though we're, we're, we're doing well and we're mature guys in our 40s now, we're bombarded constantly by advertising. 
and by big corporations that have spent, you know, cumulatively billions of dollars in marketing, advertising budgets. They hire PhD psychologists that know how to get and tug at our wants. And, you know, we all suffer from a little bit of being in a society and wanting to be like everyone else. So we want to, we want to, we want instant gratification. And I think where we're at economically, if that's the case about this level of debt and, and things like that, and, and people being behind on their payments, I think speaks a lot more to our culture um, than of, of an eco, like the economic, I guess, condition and, and, and data is just a manifest, manifestation and it's like a view of who we are as a society right now. We'd rather just go spend money than take the time to build long term. We'd rather be the tortoise than the hare, most of us. So I don't know what to tell people um, that are already in this situation except, you know, change your habits and start having a disciplined way to pay it off and negotiate with your credit cards. But that doesn't work. I mean, a lot of people know, hey, I need to live within my means. Uh, I shouldn't take this credit card because... You know, I think I'm not going to use it, but then I end up using it. Yeah, kind that's of, what I'm saying. Yeah. Most people think that, right? Yeah. But then they don't do it. That's kind yeah. of my point. But how do you, you change just gotta, that behavior? I, I don't know. I mean, that's yeah, why yeah, we're getting out finance and yeah, I'm yeah. not a therapist <laughs> <Behavior>. here. But, <laughs> but, yeah. but it is true. But that's why, you know, I've learned that the kind of money and psychology and our emotional state, all that stuff, it's all really one kind of ecosystem of, of your kind of your, your, your mental and emotional state. Money is just a manifestation of a certain part of our behavior. So it's amazing. And I look at it through clients that I have, um, some who are extremely disciplined with their finances and some who aren't. And I just look at like everyone's different. And that's why I say, I mean, if, if, if you've got all those issues with debt and all this stuff, um, and everyone's got a different story. I mean, look, someone might've been married to someone that run up a bunch of debt and then left them. I mean, that's not kind of their fault. And, and, and maybe they've, their whole issue is choosing a better life partner and not so much the financial stuff. Um, but in general, if you find yourself in a position of in that negative state of being, you know, high credit cards behind on car payments, I mean, at some point, you just got to draw a line in the sand, make an assessment of what you really have, what's your ability to earn going forward, and try and somehow start cutting down and, and being within those means so you, until you kind of have that reset moment. And while you're doing that, maybe going to get some credit card counseling services, talking to the bank saying, look, I can't pay this back. Let's or settle. Resetting I mean, your, your priorities. Yeah, just hey, resetting. I, yeah. I can't get that new car until I get my credit card debt Correct. under control. I can't take this big vacation until I get my credit card. You know card. what it reminds me yeah. a lot of? It's, it's, it, I, I've learned to make the analogy with food and, and like exercise, right? It's, a lot of people have, have similar issues with money and with food. You know, it, it sounds great to go get on your, you know, cycle for an hour and, and, and go to the gym and work out and you're going to eat kale and, and, and rice and, and, you know, just live this clean life. But then you walk, you know, into the, you know, football stadium or the basketball stadium to watch a game and you smell those hot dogs and you smell those fries and you just say, oh, you know, I'm just going to take this one time off. And what happens, most people then just slide down that rabbit hole and, and it's very hard to get back on track. And I think the same thing happens with money that, you know, it's one reason why diets don't work and kind of financial diets don't work either. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. You just have to have a wholesale change in how you're living your life. Just like when, when, when you want to lose weight or get in shape, it's not about like some kind of fad diet or something. You just got to just change the way you're operating as relates to food and your exercise. And I think the same thing happens with money. 
And and that's why it's deeper than just a financial conversation. Yeah, it's it about yeah. behavioral. And and that's why I'm saying that we're we're at this point in our country where we're arguing about does the government should do this and that and it's like and that's what I mean, but I don't know what the government should do. And I don't know what private companies should do. I just think everyone needs to look at their situation. And I'm not serious saying we're all this rugged individual, like we're cowboys in the old West. I'm just making the point that just like I have a, a family and, and, and a budget and money, I got to live within some kind of means and everyone else does. So we just all have to, and, and this is interesting because our daughter who's in our, her twenties has been um, complaining that she can't make enough money to live on her own because she's living on her own. And she lives down here in South Florida with us. And one thing I told my wife is I looked at her and said, well, neither of us are here from South Neither her or I, meaning my wife or I, are from South Florida. And we moved here at a time when real estate wasn't so inflated and the cost of living wasn't so inflated down here, but we moved from somewhere else. And so my comment to my wife was, well, look, maybe she should move. You know, there's other states that have a much lower cost of living where people are moving into because they can't live in the big cities anymore. And that's kind of what migration has been throughout the world history. People, people of lower means move somewhere else and start new. That's how our country got founded by Europeans, right? They came over here when stuff wasn't that great in Europe for them. So, and they made something of this country. And, then, and, and so we can all do that in our own life too. We might not want to. You might have family ties and other things in your community. But you have a choice. You can either live stressed out financially in a higher cost of living place or you move somewhere to lower cost of living. I mean, at some point, I know I'm making it sound very easy and someone might think I'm a total a-hole the way I'm talking if they're going through a struggle right now. So I don't mean to be. But at some point, you just got to look the brutal facts in the face and move on and just make a decision. So that's kind of where I stand with all that. That's why I don't really know what the Fed could do for the you know lower and middle class under a QE because... At the end of the day, my, my belief is that, you know, money and power will find itself. So the banks are always going to have the money to spend on the lobbyists to go to the government and do this. So unless you really do something like, you know, and not to be political here, but you bring someone like a Bernie Sanders in to wield a sledgehammer to the whole, you know, financial community uh, or Elizabeth Warren, then you're not going to have that happen. But that might have its own consequences by having someone like that in office, too. So there's never like a perfect I guess, um, you know, solution or situation. Uh, okay, so I want to jump to potential tax advantages for side hustles. Uh, hey, I work full time, but I do, you know, coding. I consult on the side. I have another kind of business uh, on the side uh, to supplement my income. What are some tax advantages uh, for side hustles? I appreciate you changing the subject because this is good. I can give clear answers to this one. <laughs> so the advantage um, to side hustles is pretty great. I mean, from a tax perspective. So um, let's let's just put uh, a fictitious character out here, Mrs. X, who is um, has a nine to five job where she's earning a hundred thousand a year. Or, or some number like that, but then starts a side hustle to your point and, and you know, starts earning enough that it's starting, to, it's starting to put more income on the tax burden, right? So maybe, you know, she's had the, the hustle for two years and now in the third year, she's starting to make 75, 80 grand on the side hustle. So now the total income is close to 200,000, which is driving the tax rate much higher. Um, if the side hustle was just a straight side hustle, then what I would recommend is, you know, incorporating, 
uh, whether that's an S corp LLC, you know, that's, that would have to, you know, be, be dealt with, with the tax advisors and, and looking at the individual business, um, starting to put things like cell phones, cars, um, other maybe expenses that are used to, to, um, to deal with that side hustle in the name of that corporation so that then they can be written off as expenses because, you know, let's say you've got, you know, cell phone bill is a couple hundred bucks a month and you've got your internet at home because your side hustle you're requires, working at home. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're on the internet and all that you've got. Um, and maybe you have two internet lines just to be sure you're being very clear with the IRS that I'm paying. One is the business kind of line and one is the personal, um, you have a car an automobile, so you can, you know, write that off because you got to get to, from to and from your, your locations. Um, you've got things like mail, you know, you might be sending a lot of things through the mail, depending on what kind of business it is. That can be written off. So there's there might be certain clothes, uniform. Buy a new computer. Yeah, computers, exactly. Yeah. Um, tablets, the whole thing. So all those, I mean, if they're legitimate uses, you know, used legitimately for your business, they can all be written off. And um, one can do those kind of write-offs without a corporation. But after a few years, the IRS does prefer to see that we're not just these sole proprietors doing these hobbies they do want to see some sort of formal corporation and and a little bit more formality in, in the way taxes are done yeah so on that uh in terms of what can uh be written off uh if you have a good thing going with your side hustle where you're you know you can legally write stuff off uh, legitimate business expenses many accountants advises hey if you have something good going don't get greedy that's going to trigger the audit, meaning that a lot of people yeah. get in trouble <laughs> with kind of their taxes and managing expenses with their side hustle. They want to write off every single thing and then they run into trouble. Yeah, they, no. they get greedy. They, it, they become a pig yeah. and then now they're in trouble it, and they're, they're under audit. Exactly. And that goes back, I think, to just going back to personalities, right? Some people are like that. They just whether they think that they're just above everything or they just want to push as far until they can't push anymore. Others kind of understand the idea of living within some sort of equilibrium. And that's a good point. I mean, definitely you, you don't want to be dishonest in how you're doing your taxes, put it that way. If, if you really are pushing it to the limit and you're spending a lot and all that, obviously you can put it in there because you can back it up with data if you get audited. But you're right. It, at, at, at every turn, you don't want to be a greedy pig. <laughs> you want to have some sort of, you know, pragmatism to the way you're operating. Yeah. So for the, for the audience, two main takeaways is you want to make sure you track and you can defend the expenses on your side hustle as it relates to taxes. There's, there's apps now that you can download that make it really easy for you to track these uh, qualified business expenses, and then also don't be greedy. Well, and, and, and one more thing I'd add too that I, I find, and I've even done this with some of our clients that start something on the side, which is um, to have a qualified plan attached to it um, to help you with your taxes as well. So again, if Mrs. X had um, uh, her job, her nine to five, that she already had a 401k, um, but she, with this side hustle, she's making, like I said, the 80,000 or so per year then um, she could also open a SEP IRA or maybe a solo 401k because the IRS allows a person to put a maximum amount, believe this year, of $54,000 into what they call a defined contribution plan, of which IRAs and, and 401ks fall under that classification. So 
if you're maxing out your 401k at work, which, you know, for under age 50 is 18,000 people over age 50 have a catch up provision of, of, of a few thousand more so they can put away 24,000. Let's say your company does a match, maybe profit sharing. So let's say all in you've, um, you've got $30,000 that you're put into your 401k from your own salary, plus the profit sharing and match from the company. You still have a corridor and room of another 24,000 or so to put in to a plan for that year to, to, to um, escape taxation for that current year. And so you could open a retirement plan on your side hustle business and also use that to shelter money from current taxation from the IRS. The other advantage of that too is that that money is creditor protected. So if you ever got sued or had to file for bankruptcy, um, in most cases, I mean, there's, I'm sure someone can pull out some legal case where they were able to pierce that. But in most cases, um, all retirement plans are creditor and, and asset protected. And, um, and on the, on the sense that I've done this with some entrepreneur clients with a solo 401k, um, if you have that on your side hustle, you can actually borrow against it. If you get in a jam down the road without having to go to a bank and show tax returns and all that. So there's a lot of advantages of just kind of really, if, if those listening, if you have that kind of side hustle of really just taking a look at some of the things we're talking about, um, to see if they make sense for you and can help you with, um, you know, taking more advantage of your situation. You mentioned uh, asset protection. Yep. As it relates to my business fails or I get into trouble and creditors are coming after me personally and I want to protect my assets and, you know, hey, something can happen in the future where people come, come after me, lawsuits or whatever. Can you share with the audience what type of instruments you would be thinking about to protect assets from creditors uh, in terms of annuities and just different type of instruments? How would you go about asset protection strategies? So that's a good question um, because just each situation is unique because I guess the, the, the real um, desire for asset protection means that you feel you have some sort of exposure for liability, right? So, but that's different. I've got clients that are surgeons their exposure to liability is obviously if they screw up in the OR and, and they cut someone the wrong way or whatever, but their first line of defense is malpractice insurance. Um, I've, I've had clients that are professional athletes, for example, and we've, we've, we've been able to manage their um, asset protection through things like just getting better liability coverage um, and increasing liability limits on their cars and their homes and things like that. So you can, you can use strategies like insurance, um, you can use strategies like I mentioned just now about a qualified plan, a retirement plan, and, and shoving assets in there. Um, like you said, in, in certain states, like we're in the state of Florida here, um, annuities and life insurance cash value are fully protected from creditors in this state. So that could be another vehicle for someone. Also in our state of Florida, um, your homestead is protected up to $15 million. So if your primary residence, you know, so, you can, so a lot of the that, strategies, that, uh, by it the depends way, depends on the state. Yeah. But that's why our state attracts so many yeah. <laughs> people running away from something else. Yeah. But, but, um, or ex felons, but, um, we have a lot of white collar criminals in, in Palm beach. Yeah. But, um, but the in thing Boca. is, is that, but look, that's, uh, I say it as, as with a smile, but it, they work right. That the meaning these tactics and these strategies. So that's why I think, it, 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 at first, I would start with asking someone, what are you, where's your exposure and what's your potential liability? Because I remember with the professional athletes, some, especially guys that are in the NBA that look, 
the part, you know, when they step out of a car, you know, a guy's 6'10", it just, you know, sometimes I can't tell a guy that's 5'8", running back, if he's just dressed normal walking out of his car, you might not know that guy was an NFL player. We can all kind of tell sometimes what an NBA player looks like. A guy's 6'10", built like a rock. Most people don't look like that. So when I've had clients like that, what we've done is we've really increased their auto limits, honestly, because my just thought was if you get in a fender bender, the, the little tap on a bumper, a guy like me gets out the car, you know, the, the person I might have tapped, just get out and look. And if they see no damage, okay, man, you know, let's see. I'm glad we didn't get hurt and we'll be on our way. Um, and if there was little damage, we take each other's info. Maybe the cop gets called just to record that the police was at the scene and then we both leave. But if it's the gangly six foot ten, six foot eleven guy, you know, climbing out of the clown car almost, and 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 the person sees them, all of a sudden they might say, "Oh, you know what? My neck hurts, my back hurts." Oh, you know. Yeah. So what he, I yeah he has a Bentley. Correct. So so what we've done with those type of clients is make sure that their auto limits, their 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 liability policies on their home because they might have something where they have a party or they have um, guests at the house and someone's hurt, but because of who they were, now they want to sue them for all this stuff. That might be something different. I might not recommend that to the surgeon because, again, the surgeon gets out the car and the person that's looking at them doesn't really look at them as someone they can go after. Yeah. So that's just sometimes how we'll kind of deal with asset protection is really looking at the individual client situation and saying, out of all these tools that are out here, and some sometimes we recommend revocable trust planning, or sorry, irrevocable trust planning. Um, let me make that correction. Uh, so it depends on just the situation, but all those tools are out there that that can help someone protect assets from certain things. But I want to be clear here. There's a couple things that aren't protected. It's almost impossible for anything that I mentioned to protect from divorce, IRS fraud. Or if you are found to have put the money in those vehicles after having committed the crime. So and that's just very clear, meaning you can't, if you can't, um, you know, do something. Whatever. And you have, you have malintent. Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. If, on, if on January 5th, you, you did the malintent thing that caused you to get sued or have a litigation against you. And on January 15th, you shoved, you know. $8 million into an annuity thinking it's going to be safe, the court's going to say you, you might have had a bad intent with the way you did that. So I want to be very clear that these aren't, you know, <laughs> I don't want anyone saying that they've got me recommending that they do something and then they go to jail yeah. for this podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah. Would it be fair to say that uh, when people think about asset protection, you know, or when people talk about buying real estate, like why would you want to own a home? Yeah. Can you talk to... Hey, one of the reasons that's not talked about in the mainstream why you may want to own a home is because your home is protected from creditors in some states. Eh. Could, could the home be part of the, the, the asset protection in terms of... Yeah, that is. That's what I said. A the creditor homestead. can't go attack Correct. your home in certain states. So, hey, rather than having uh, a certain amount of cash in a banking account or something like that... If the values in a home, hey, the creditor can come after that, but it can't come after your home. Correct. So yeah. that's what I was saying. Yeah. In, in yeah. Florida, they call it the homestead. 
um, um, exemption, which is basically that your your primary residence, your homestead, is exempt from creditors, litigation, things like that, bankruptcy. Obviously, the only one that can go after you would be the mortgage if you have a mortgage. That, yeah, that bank. That's the only one. Um, and so, yeah, that's that. That could be an avenue. But again, if let's say you had a million dollar house and you had a six hundred thousand dollar mortgage. And again, on my example, on January 5th, you committed some sort of fel- felonious act which got you sued or, you know, you know, chased by creditors. And on February 1st, you shove $600,000 into your house by paying off the mortgage. That might not, you know, might qualify. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, got it. Uh, okay, so uh, you've been a big advocate of the digital estate planning. Can you explain... Uh, what that is and how that is uh, beneficial. Yeah, that actually um, was kind of personal for me because unfortunately we lost my mom. She passed of bone cancer in 2015. And, um, you know, losing someone like that is obviously a stressful situation. And I remember when I I went to her place first um, or right after the day after she died and started looking through things in her desk and all that kind of stuff, even though my mom was 70, she was a big techie and she scanned everything. So I couldn't find any bank statements, any wills, anything like that. And I, I realized I was very fortunate because she um, did not password protect her MacBook Pro, her cell phone, her iPhone, or her iPad. And so I was able to get into all that stuff quickly and easily and find everything that she scanned and, and was able to kind of direct traffic after her passing. And that was the first time I started thinking about this because I realized that had she had that password protected, I would have pretty much been um, out of luck. Uh, I don't, uh, I've never checked, but I don't know if if Apple has a policy that if I were to call them and say, here's my mom's death certificate, can you help me get into her phone? I don't think they'd help because I remember when, um, unfortunately, that uh, those those people, ISIS sympathizers, um, did what they did in San Bernardino. Uh, California and killed 14 people. I remember Apple didn't uh, even uh, help the FBI to get into their phones just to see if they were going to, you know, had any accomplices or if this was going to happen again. So I don't think that there's a system really in the digital space for dealing with our information that's out there. And I've thought about that with my own family. I mean, I think every picture I've taken since probably 2008 is now digital. So, again, when I was cleaning out my mom's stuff, I'm finding all these old photo albums because, of course, you know, she had photo albums going back to the 70s. And I kind of realized, I was thinking a few weeks after that, that if I drop dead tomorrow, you know, my kids, my family is going to have no records of any of the thousands of pictures I've taken because they're all buried in my phone and on the iCloud. And so there's been, you know, some, some simple techniques people use, which is, you know, just writing your passwords down, kind of keeping them in that envelope in the drawer, And, you know, if something happens to me, you tell your family, hey, you know, look in that drawer and you'll have all my passwords. But then the concern that I have is that some institutions like some banks and financial institutions will require that you change your password passwords like once every three months for security purposes. So unless you're that disciplined that you remember to always write down an update somewhere or something else. And then I've been paranoid about leaving passwords in my phone because I think about if someone hacks my phone, they get all my passwords. So. There's no, um, there hasn't been an, uh, a good answer yet for how to deal with these things. And I think that um, it's becoming more and more pronounced. Uh, recently, I know we've talked about this. There was a situation where a, a cryptocurrency that was run by a Canadian gentleman 
Um, I guess he died earlier this year. I think it might have been in January. And he was the only one with the passwords to whatever his software was. And apparently $197 million of cryptocurrency buyers or investors is just locked up because no one can get into this guy's system to get, I guess, their, their currency out. So, yeah, there's no digital estate planning is a concept. There's no perfect solution yet, though, because technology is kind of constantly evolving. But it's an interesting topic and something I think everyone yeah, needs to pay attention going to. Back, going back to Snoop Dogg's comment after Prince died where uh, Snoop said, uh, hey, I don't care about having a will. Yeah. I'm not going to be here. What the fuck, you know, <laughs> what I care? I'm not even going to be here. That's why I don't have a will. When I think about a digital estate plan, I think it's, it's, it's right in line with an estate plan in terms of it's a selfless act, meaning that hey, if something happens to me, it's not about me, yeah. my family and stress in terms of trying to put the pieces together and kind of unwind this stuff, that I would have to be a selfless individual to think about, hey, there needs to be a roadmap to make it easier on my kids and my family yeah. in terms of putting the pieces together. Uh, so when you think about estate planning, think about it as a selfless act. A selfish person may not do an estate plan. You're right. Yeah. It's it's very It's all about me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can't think about how other people could be digging for six months and may not even find this stuff that yeah. they're looking for. No, and, I, and it's interesting because in doing what I do for a living, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on kind of this side of the table and the client would be, let's say, on your side. And you made a great point because you see really sometimes people's kind of base psychology when it comes to estate planning. Because you're right. I've had people that they've got families, you know, they got their own me, kids. Me, and, me, and me, me. they're like, yeah, they're like, yeah. I don't care. I don't yeah, care what happens. I don't care. No one helped me when I came up. I don't care. And then, <laughs> no, but you see it. And, then, and yeah. then you have others that are very altruistic and they want to leave money to future generations. And they got their, their you know, their hospitals and their museums they want to name in their, in their estate plan. And whatever else that they care about. And so, you know, it's uh, again, the, I think you make a great point. An estate plan is a very personal thing. And it's a reflection of, it's kind of, I guess, you're, it's a reflection of who you were after you died, in a sense, and how people can think of you. You can uh, revisit another great interview I had with Tunde. That's episode 39. You can go to iTunes or you can go to the Moguldom uh, website with the Go episodes and check out episode number 39. That's the previous uh, interview with Tunde. Where can they uh, find you online uh, and possibly contact you for uh, uh, advice? I uh, appreciate it. Um, uh, our website is www.axialfamilyadvisors.com. A X I A L Family Advisors, ending in O R S dot com. And um, I want to say this I'm learning, you got to give people their roses while they're alive. So I thank you. You're doing a great job on the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarla Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.